welcome to the Radical Redneck Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Hammett, and that intro music is by Neon Dan TV on Twitter. Today we're doing a special feature about internet gore. I was inspired to do this topic based on my own experience. I can't wait to share it with you. The series of interviews, the research, but first I gotta do a bit of a content slash trigger warning. This is about gore. So a lot of really awful topics tend to come up. There's murder, suicide, mutilation, um, sometimes sexual assault, just like all kinds of awful things come up when you talk about gore. So if any of that's triggering for you, feel free to click off and hang around for episode two which will be about something else. Well, let's get into it. My first experience with gore was from Rotten.com. I started off on Snopes, but sometime between middle school and high school, just looking up urban legends and true crime. When I was supposed to be in computer class doing useful things. And I went from Snopes to Rotten.com somehow. I don't know if somebody recommended it to me or what. Because that's usually how someone finds it. Someone goes, hey man, look at this. And they traumatize their friends. But I kind of traumatized myself. When I opened Rotten.com, one of the first images I saw was a man whose face had been blown off by a shotgun. Presumably by his own hand. That was really traumatic, and I decided I was going to stick with fake horror for a while after that. It was uh, a really disturbing sight at the time. Of course, there were worse sights, and we'll talk about those. I stepped away from gore for a long time, though, because not only did I want to maintain some semblance of innocence, some childlike innocence as I grew up. But also, I thought it was morally dubious. You know, the family members of these people, or these people themselves, would not want these images posted, probably. Even someone who live streams their suicide, probably if they got better, or if they were in the right frame of mind, maybe they wouldn't even want it out there. They wouldn't want to be known for this. Or maybe they would, but there's no way to know. I thought, this is really ethically dubious. Stepped away from it. But then sometime within the last couple years, I lost a friend to suicide. And I ended up feeling so numb for a while. And I just wanted something to break me out of that numbness. So I watched some YouTube videos about gore, about death and really disturbing things from big time users like Plagued Moth, smaller users, users like Marina Graves, all kinds of people in between. And well, they would talk about gore, talk about stuff they'd seen. And I don't know, it was like a watered down version of disturbing content that would wake me up from the numbness. 
And then I found a subreddit on Reddit called 5050. Actually, it was recommended to me by my partner. And this subreddit, which was created in 2013, has a very interesting premise. You see, the reason it's called 5050 is because there's a 50-50 chance that what you click on will be something cute or fun, harmless. And there's a 50% chance, on the other hand, that what you click on will be horrible. For instance, here's a post from nine days ago where you can either click on a beautiful picture of the Red Sea or a screw in someone's urethra. Here is either an eye being eviscerated or a freshly baked peach cobbler. Oh, it's not the one I was hoping for. Anyway, somehow viewing this content woke me up out of that numbness. And I still thought it was ethically dubious, but it did make me feel better. And that experience inspired me to interview some other people who have had encounters with gore. Sometimes against their will, sometimes it was something they sought out. And I wanted to know why. Why do we seek out things like this? Why does it hurt some people, but help some people? How can it help? What about the people who end up on these websites? What about the families of these victims? I looked at a lot of cases for this. I looked at the case of Nikki Katsuras, also known as Porsche Girl. Her family was tormented by images of their daughter on the internet. On Halloween 2006, their 18-year-old daughter essentially stole her dad's Porsche after dinner and went on a joyride that ended up with her dead. And two cops took photos and emailed them, which they weren't supposed to do. And then those photos ended up all over the internet. And due to the Streisand effect, I don't remember why they call it that, something to do with Barbara Streisand, but due to the Streisand effect, the harder the family fought, with cease and desist orders from the police, with a website called, I think, Reputation Defender, the harder they fought to get these images off of the internet, the more they proliferated. People were even emailing these images to the parents and they pulled their other daughter out of school and homeschooled her so that people would not torment her with the images. They were afraid it would happen to her too. Now, Bianca Devins is a more recent case. Just a couple years ago, the social media influencer who was barely out of high school was murdered by some incel guy who was obsessed with her. She ended up having her image spread on the internet 
by the killer himself. He sent it to Discord, Instagram, Snapchat, you name it. And to this day, Kim Devins, Bianca's mother, tells Insider that the family is frequently sent the images of their deceased daughter from strangers. And they're tagged in social media accounts that use the images as their profile pictures. Which of course means that if you use social media at all, there's no way to escape these images. If you're tagged, you automatically see what you're tagged in. You see the profile picture. It's unfathomable. And Devin's felt that Facebook and Instagram were so negligent keeping these photos up and allowing them to be uploaded that she has proposed a law called Bianca's Law and a petition on change.org now sits with about 45,000 signatures proposing such things as having a task force on major social media for families of victims of violence and also just simply preventing these images from being uploaded in the first place. Essentially holding Facebook to the claim that they have the software that can detect it because they haven't acted like they do. Because when Ronnie McNutt when Ronnie McNutt live-streamed his suicide, well, when Ronnie McNutt live-streamed his suicide last year, it was left up on Facebook for a long time. Rolling Stone reports that when his friends reported that the video of his suicide was still sitting there hours later. Facebook said at first it didn't violate their community standards somehow, even though it clearly did. So I have to say that while some of the language in Bianca's law is a little confusing, it's correct that there is a problem. Last year, TikTok became virtually unusable because the video of Ronnie McNutt's suicide was everywhere. There were thumbnails going around, pictures where someone said, if you see this image, if you see this man's face, click off immediately because what comes next is horrible. And I can tell you it is. But on TikTok, a site used mostly by young people, these videos were embedded within videos of puppies or teens dancing to the point that you almost don't know to click off until it's too late. So a lot of people were saying TikTok was just unusable. And then another way that gore is used to torment people, my friend Mona G or Mona on, over on Twitch She's a content creator, queer activist. She's all kinds of things. She's been sent gore maliciously for no reason, seemingly just for existing as a trans woman on Twitch.
she has been sent gore for that. Now, the only positive use of gore I can think of has been in true crime. YouTubers like Stephanie Harlow will sometimes use an image of the deceased if it can possibly help with the case. Like in the case of Praveen Varghese, his mother, Lovely, aptly named, his mother, Lovely, approved of this video. And the video had an image of his face after his death because people were claiming that he had died of hypothermia. Officials were claiming this. And so Harlow wanted to show that he had bruising on his face, severe bruising that could only come from being beaten, from being murdered. And the fact that his mom approved made me feel better about that. And interestingly, users of the Gore website Best Gore correctly identified Luca Magnata in 2012, the infamous killer of Jun Lin and topic of the Netflix documentary Don't F With Cats. They correctly identified Luca Magnata before the police did. Now, to be fair, it was only like four days before the police did, and the police were probably going to solve it anyway when body parts started arriving at the places they were mailed to up in Canada. And, well, there's a lot of crime scene photos out there, cases like the Black Dahlia or Jean-Benet Ramsey, and although these are readily available, it doesn't seem like they've put us any closer to solving these cases. Still, it's strangely, darkly impressive that they managed to solve that case. And uh, the founder of Best Gore, Mark Merrick, really ran with that and defended his website as journalism. He calls it a reality news website, or I should say called. He was, Mark Merrick was sued after he allowed the snuff film from Luca Magnata to be on his website. See, he claimed free speech. His lawyer claimed, well, this stuff is going to be out there anyway. But he ended up being found guilty of a really obscure law on the Canadian books called Corrupting Public Morals, which really does sound like an Oscar Wilde era uh, crime, as Adrian Jeffries of The Verge pointed out. Jeffries also reported that Lynn's parents are devastated and angry. Quote, the most unbearable pain for me is that the video posted on the, the video got posted on the internet. Unquote. This is his mother, Ji Guidu, to Yahoo News. Quote, people watched it over and over. It's like my son is being murdered again and again. Unquote. So, like all these other parents, Ji Guidu is devastated that this video is out there, that her son is now known for this, instead of known for who he is. 
So, Best Score was shut down on November 15th, 2020. You'll probably hear people mention it a lot because it's, it's kind of like YouTube for the gore community. Along with another website, LiveLeak, they pretty much dominated the hosting of these videos. And when Best Gore shut down in 2020, LiveLeak, possibly even more famous, followed soon after. LiveLeak Live was the premier gore website until May 5th, 2021. Hayden Hewitt ran that site. In 2007, that site also attracted controversy in the UK for hosting footage of children fighting. Hewitt defended this. He defended sharing the videos as a form of bearing witness, much like Merrick claiming his on Best Gore as journalism. We have to take a stance on saying, look, all this is happening. This is real life. This is going on. We're going to show it, he told BBC News. You also might hear folks mention a website called Ogreish, which existed from 2000 to 2006, and then it became LiveLeak, which lasted until May of this year. So first there was Ogreish, that became LiveLeak, and then LiveLeak and Best Gore hosted the vast majority of Gore content until they were both shut down in 2020 and 2021. And now I want to get into the part of the podcast where I read people's experiences that they've sent to me. I sourced their experiences from a website called Documenting Reality. Documenting Reality is a forum, a gore forum. And this website that looks just like an internet forum that you would find for Christians who like anime or something else absurdly specific in like the year 2007. It's a very interesting website with some very disturbing content, but people's experiences are quite interesting. A user of documenting reality, known as Vixen, says, What got me into gore? For me personally, I think it stems back to trauma I went through as a child. I saw some things and lived through events that nobody of any age should ever see, let alone a kid. That led to me becoming desensitized very early on to images and situations that would scar and haunt other people. I guess what I'm trying to say is what got me into gore was the desire to experience that shock and awe again. What are the gore communities like? Ha. Huh. They're spaces that are overflowing with people from all walks of life, all fields of expertise, as well as just your average everyday person who just so happens to have a morbid curiosity. We have doctors, police officers, and other law enforcement, psychiatrists, pathologists, coroners, medical and forensic examiners, grave diggers, detectives, funeral directors, furries, BDSM enthusiasts, kink chasers, the list goes on. There's never a dull moment. I was a staunch supporter and follower of Best Gore, rest in peace, and Live Leak, rest in peace, before becoming a member of Documenting Reality. 
Okay, so have there been any cases that have stuck with me? Yes, there is a pretty infamous suicide case, commonly referred to as Bathtub Girl. It's an extensive set of high-def photographs of the remains of a young lady who killed herself by slitting her wrists in a bathtub full of water. She was found several days later, after a neighbor called the police to report a putrid smell. These photographs are, no exaggeration, literally the only gore images that I've ever seen in my life that have made me physically nauseous. And I can assure you, I'm not the only person who reacted that way. The remains of that young lady, who was very pretty while she was alive, are just absolutely disgusting. They're almost painful to look at. And that's coming from many, many desensitized people. Are there any ethical situations that bother me? There definitely are some, yes. Such as the gore that has started circulating through TikTok and other social media platforms in recent months slash years. I personally fell victim to one of the misleading gore TikToks the exact same day that I decided to download the TikTok app just to see what all the fuss was about. Few minutes of scrolling later, and I got to see a lovely clip of Ronnie McNutt blasting his head off with a shotgun. Okay, she actually said blasting his head to shit with a shotgun. Now, of course, that didn't really faze me at all. I'll be honest, I got kind of excited and was like, ooh, TikTok has this type of content, eh? Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. But I can only imagine how horrifying and traumatic it had to have been for all the children who also happened to land on that video while they were innocently scrolling along. That's the type of thing I find ethically wrong, disgusting, and straight-up cruel. Yes, I 100% believe that that type of content should be available for people to look at and learn from, but I do not agree with subjecting it on an unsuspecting audience, especially an audience of children. So, that was sent to me by Vixen. Next, we have a guy named Mike Sims, who had a lot more to say. So buckle up. Quote, I've been a regular on the Gore site documenting reality since 2010. What I can tell you is that it's a wretched hive of scum and villainy. It attracts some of the most disagreeable people you'll ever meet. But the content, the sheer volume of it, and the expert manner in which it is archived and presented is second to none. There are two things I would change about the site. The first would be to disallow disrespectful comments to be made on the death pics and videos. If moderators are overwhelmed with moderating such comments, the commenting should just be ended altogether. This is someone's death, an actual person, yet you regularly see people's response to that devolve into bad puns about the manner of death, cruel humor about wet or soiled pants, blatant racism, homophobia, of course most popular, misogyny, and all manner of comments that are often more disgusting than the images and video being presented. There is a difference between morbid curiosity and all out making fun of people's final moments in the nastiest way possible. The other thing I would change is the ability of members to, quote, fuck off, unquote, posts. It's a function like a thumbs down, but it literally says, the following user said fuck off to so-and-so for this post. There's already a one to five star rating system for posts, 
It seems the only reason for that function is to sow negativity and cause friction between members. I've seen many people come and go over the years. There is an area called the water cooler in which members can avoid most of the few rules enforced elsewhere on the site. Comments in the water cooler are barely moderated and are basically a free-for-all, attracting the sorts of people who like to post pictures of feces and mentally handicapped people for fun. Just as an example, uh, two of the regulars are called Fat Tub of Shit and Suicide Note, Masters of Pedophilia Jokes and the Fuck Off Button, respectively. The cooler is the bottom of the barrel, and probably the most unique general discussion forum on the web. People are constantly getting doxxed in there, and messed with so badly that they end up requesting a self-ban so they can't continue posting, and suffering the sort of bullying and mental abuse that goes on in there, but which people often subject themselves to because of the handful of members who hang out there, as if it's just a normal social media platform for folks who happen to be interested in gore. Sometimes people are temporarily banned for various reasons, such as doxing, which should be a permaban, or permanent ban, but never is, or saying the n-word, but basically the only way to ensure a permanent ban is to piss off the site owner or one of the mods, which is pretty hard to do considering the lowness of the site's standards, but people still manage it. There is even a hall of shame where you can go to make fun of people who self-banned or got booted for some reason or other. There used to be a board devoted to debates on things like politics and religion, but over time it basically became a clone of the water cooler. The only way to have at least somewhat normal discussion is to pay the $10 a month VIP membership fee, which grants access to a secret forum and other boards where things that are too awful to post publicly or things that had to be removed for whatever reason are stored. I used to have a paid membership, but eventually withdrew my support because of the way the site administrators choose to allow and nurture a culture that encourages the worst of people to let it all out and rewards their nastiness with a public platform where members are constantly trying to one-up each other in cruelty. It is a magnet for the mentally ill, the depraved, and the utterly evil. I have no doubt there are murderers and pedophiles among us but it continues to attract gore hounds, criminal psychology buffs, and people like myself who are drawn to such social environments as an anthropological curiosity. My gore journey, for lack of a better term, started at a very young age with fictional material, such as the movies Alien, Dawn of the Dead, Creepshow, The Fly, and many more R-rated films featuring cinematic gore that either my stoner parents, whom I loved dearly, took me to see at drive-in theaters, or which were broadcast on cable TV. I also tried as often as I could to get my hands on classic horror comics and Fangoria magazine, as well as books about monsters and shark attacks to feed my budding fascination. But it was in 1987, at the age of 12, when my interest in death and gore really started to take off. My dad rented Faces of Death from a video store 
and we watched it together. He loved to scare the shit out of me. Now I'm sure you're aware, many if not most of the original Faces of Death is fake. But it looked real enough to fool a 12 year old, and it really bothered me, especially the electric chair scene, which was totally fake. I would rent it, and its sequels, from the video stores many more times over the years. Another early impetus towards my growing obsession was in 1989, when a boy named Julio Castillo climbed a spiked fence to retrieve a ball and slipped, causing one of the spikes to impale him up through the bottom of his jaw and protrude from his mouth. I got a picture of it from the newspaper and just stared at it with fascination until it was seared into my brain. What I remember most about the Castillo photo, he survived by the way, was how it made me feel. It gave me a horrible sense of dread and a terrible empty feeling in the pit of my stomach, which I absolutely loved. I kept freaking myself out with questions like, what if it had been me? What thoughts would go through my head at the moment of such a grievous injury? How would I feel being stuck there for hours till I could be rescued? A few years later, in 1991, a 16-year-old friend of mine named Sean Novak, who was obsessed with serial killers, was convicted of the double homicide of a 7-year-old boy and a 9-year-old boy in a wooded area where I'd spent most of my childhood playing. The day the boys disappeared, he had come to my house and asked if I could come out and play. I was 15 and scrawny. By sheer luck, I was also grounded, at the time, for smoking in school. I probably narrowly avoided being murdered myself. The details of their deaths were gruesome. They had been stabbed multiple times with a large hunting knife and one of them had been stabbed so many times on his neck that they found his corpse with the head barely attached. I had nightmares for years, but somehow the whole experience made me even more interested in death, gore, and true crime. In the late 90s, I became an adult, and I started to rent the Traces of Death movies, which were much more gruesome and featured all real death and dismemberment including the famous Bud Dwyer televised suicide, which still haunts a lot of people to this day. In the early 2000s, the internet really exploded, and I was introduced to sites like Ogreish and Rotten.com. I think for most people under 40, that was probably their introduction to the real thing. There was a photo on Ogreish of a man lying in the middle of the road with his brain ejected from his skull and a streak of blood going from a smashed head to where the brain was sitting. There was a picture of a thin, elderly woman in the later stages of decomposition called Green Lady that turned my stomach. My first experience with an image that I found really hard to look at. And then my life changed forever when Nick Berg was decapitated by Iraqi terrorists, and the film, or at least some of it, ended up on Ogreish. It was horrifying to watch. They cut off his head while he was still alive, though some debate this, and his eyes were wide open and blinked after they did it. The sounds that came from his bleeding neck hole were like a large pig, low and guttural and utterly terrifying. 
I knew then that I would be seeking out such content from then on. Eventually, I stumbled across documenting reality. Someone has actually gifted me a guest membership. I wish I could remember who. Probably someone on the JAWS fan page I've been posting on since 1995. I focused mainly on the beheadings, and there were a lot to view in 2010 and 2011, and the suicides, especially shotguns and jumpers. Over time, and I'm sure you'll get this from just about everyone, I got desensitized to the content, where mere images used to creep me the hell out. I got to the point on documenting reality where I barely looked at the photo board. Why do that when there's video? And eventually I began to get bored with most deaths by shooting and other common means, and really only remained interested in the deaths and mutilations that occurred while the person was still alive, including murders, suicides, and industrial or natural accidents. I was really interested in people being burned alive, but eventually lost interest in that as well. Please don't think that I get off on watching people suffer. Far from it. I actually try to put myself in their shoes and experience what they were experiencing as best as I can in that final moment of their lives. I never empathize with the murderers or terrorists who often carry out such awful deeds like the ones in Mexico or Brazil. I don't leave shitty comments or jokes about the dead and dying. Occasionally I'll comment on the strangeness or injustice of a particular death, but for the most part I avoid commenting, as doing so just invites bullies and trolls to belittle you for not being as nasty and mean as they are. Few deaths have stuck with me, undocumenting reality. One was an infant run over by a train. Another was a 17 to 19 year old boy skinned alive with his organs exposed before getting his heart ripped out, during which he somehow remained conscious the whole time. Note from Courtney, this is a Mexican cartel video. I'm aware of this one. It is truly amazing how much punishment the human body can take before giving up the ghost. For some reason, the side of his bladder deflating and contracting really etched itself into my mind's eye. It's also fascinating and disturbing just how cruel people can be to their fellow man. Torture, dismemberment, brutal beatings, these things and worse take place all around the world, every single day. I'm grateful to the founder for starting and maintaining documenting reality, even if I disagree with the behavior he allows to occur there. It is so important that the legacy of the site's name persists, that reality is indeed documented in all its terrible, bloody, and evil truth. Again, that is Mike Sims. And huge, huge thank you to Mike Sims and Vixen for sending me your experiences. Next up is an interview with someone I found through the YouTuber Plagued Moth. Hey. Okay, wait, wait. I have to ask first. Why is it called Radical Redneck? Because I'm definitely <laughs> not one of those. Please, please don't tell me. Please don't tell me I'm one of those. <laughs> no, you're not. It's just that I'm from the South, and um, and my partner and I kind of thought 
Well, with his thick accent, it was just going <laughs> to be a funny little joke. <laughs> okay, I was worried for a second. I was like, oh, God, no, they know that I'm from, like, a tiny little conservative town. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, it's, it's a reference to our little Carolina roots, but how are uh, you today? I'm all right. Um, is, is my mic okay? Yeah, is my okay. mic okay? Yes, you sound great. I just want to make sure that I'm not, like, super tinny or something awful like that. Yeah, I don't have a green mic right now. I've just got these earbuds, so, you know, we're powering through. But, got it. Uh, let's see, what, what name shall we go by? How shall you introduce yourself? Um, I'll go by Vincent. Vincent, lovely. Uh, well... Nice to nice to finally connect on here. Um, <laughs> topic, of course, is internet gore, and I know that you have encountered a great deal of that in your life and sought it out, and unfortunately seen some similar things in real life. So, you know, I'd kind of just like to know a little bit about your gore journey. Um, what was your first encounter of it? So honestly, like. My very first encounter that I can really remember was the Three Guys One Hammer video. And, like, I actually, when I first saw that video, it fucked me up. Uh, wait, can I swear? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to ask if that was okay. <laughs> that is okay. This is hashtag journalism. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, that video, like, fucked me up really bad. And, like, I, I was probably, like, 13 something like that when I saw it and I remember having nightmares and like laying in bed like tossing and turning and thinking about this guy dying but but then a couple of years later I just I I don't know what happened just something kind of clicked in me and I, I guess maybe it was I realized how much I like scary movies with gore and I liked you know, I guess gore porn movies is what you would call them, like Hostel <laughs> and Saw. <laughs> yes. And then at that point, I, I kind of like wound up on, oh gosh, what's it called? Um, it's a now defunct website. It was uh, That's Best That's almost gore. all of them. Yeah. Okay, Best, Best gore. gore. That was the one that I used to use a lot just because it was like, informative like it wasn't so much like focusing on like hey everybody let's watch somebody die it was more like here is the latest in what's going on in the world and and it was kind of like because the news never shows you you know like the news will be like oh somebody got decapitated or whatever like or something crazy like that but it's like unless you've seen it, like, it doesn't really resonate. I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I, I guess I, I've kind of gotten to the point where it's like, who cares anymore? Like, we're all just meat sacks full of blood. <laughs> so, <laughs> like... Meat sacks? That's, that's it. That's what we yeah. are. We're a meat sack full of blood, and... <laughs> I don't know, people get so, like, worked up over 
gore, and I really don't get it because I kind of find a weird beauty in some of it. I I distinctly remember, um, I distinctly remember finding this really this this picture of it was a a girl who had been discovered in in a lake or something, but like she, uh, a big amount of her face had been eaten away at, and so it was just her skull. And there's something about her posture, and I wish I could find that picture again. Because there was something about the posture and the way that she was, and it was really pretty. And I'm like, you know what? If I die in a crazy way, at least let them find my body like in a pretty posture or something. You know? <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> um, you Sorry, know, the... you're, you're gonna get unabashed opinions because I am also um, still coasting on my drunkenness from yesterday so <laughs> perfect wonderful <laughs> wonderful um the founder of best gore mark merrick actually also saw it as kind of journalism and everything yeah. um he also had some really interesting claims about how people who see a lot of gore can easily debunk political propaganda now he had some very strong opinions on syria but he claimed that there was a beheading video from Mexico that Syrian rebels tried to claim was from the Assad government, and the the gore hounds were able to be like, no, no, that's from Mexico. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I don't know if gore really immunizes you against propaganda so much, but um, he, well, there was... There was that time in 2012 when members of Best Gore correctly identified Luca Magnata before the police yes. did. I totally remember that. And that was like the best thing ever. And that was when I heard that Best Gore was getting shut down. I was like, why? Like they literally caught a murderer and a cat killer. Like, I'm sorry, cat killer goes above every single thing for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> you. You can murder somebody, but, like, you fuck with cats, and I'm gonna... <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's why the Netflix episode is called Don't F With Cats. Yeah. They they bleep it out, but that's what it's called. Yeah, exactly. I... So, you heard it here. Killing cats, <laughs> worse than killing people. Okay, I have, I have a different... <laughs> so... <laughs> Somebody's gonna use that against me at some point. But... No, see, I have, I have a different thing. So, mm -hmm. when people fuck with cats or children or developmentally disabled people or elderly, like, you know, people that can't defend themselves and animals that can't defend themselves, like, that gets me in a rage. You it's... know, I have noticed this about gore people. Gorehounds, what do you call yourselves? But I have noticed this that that children and animals are especially like a really big kind of soft spot. It's because they can't defend themselves. Because there's there's a difference between a grown adult attacking another grown adult because there's a fighting chance between those two people. But when an adult is attacking something that's, you know, down on knee level like there's no chance like 
it's there's no fighting chance you know and so that's those kind of videos really get me i can't watch anything like animal gore related and i can't i can't watch any of those videos of like like there's there's one video of like a babysitter that's like beating the crap out of a little kid and that that i can't do that yeah i i heard from um plagued moth recently that that he um he saw a mixtape that involved child abuse recently i think it was called amber alert and it was like the worst that he'd ever seen i've Um, never i've never um actually looked for any of those like i would there's part of me that's like i i would be interested if it came across my radar but i wouldn't go searching for anything like that like you know, I'm I'm the kind of person that I'll go on like, well, before it got banned off Reddit, there used to be like r slash watch people die, and I it was mostly yeah, and it was mostly like adults doing stupid shit. Like, uh, there was one video that I really distinctly remember on there that was like four guys, uh, moving this gigantic like stepladder pole thing. And they moved it right into um, uh, overhanging hanging wires. And they all got oh. electrocuted and died. And so it was kind of like, well, you guys kind of should have watched out for it. Yikes. And, and it's like, that's, that's the kind of, that's the kind of stuff that I more watch. Cause I don't really want to watch somebody killing somebody else. It's more like, you were stupid and you didn't look out and you did the thing to yourself. (laughs) Understandable. Um, Plus the, the murders and the snuff films are usually what get sites like best Gore in trouble. (laughs) Like the Luke and Magnata case. There was a massive lawsuit after that. Um, Based on a Canadian law that I didn't even know existed. That was like obscenity um, something or other. It was uh corrupting public morals which was a very very interesting trial um oh boy yeah and then live leak was shut down in 2021 that was this year that was like may i didn't even know that was shut down like i guess i never really used that one i i don't even i haven't really like gone online to like seek out gore in a long time because best score was kind of like my go-to. I would just go on there every once in a while and be like, okay, here's the latest gore. And yeah. I don't know. And, huh. I don't yeah, even know Live Leak was shut down too. That's crazy. Um, and a lot of the subreddits were shut down. The only subreddit that I still know about is 5050. I, there's a couple of them. Um, they they kept adding like random punctuation marks after the name to like try to skirt around and i think there's one or two that i'm still a member of but i i never really see a lot of posts but i don't i i do wonder like where plague moth gets some of his stuff because there's been um a couple videos before i was a patron uh, and before he had like patron levels where he had uncensored videos where it was like he was talking about something and I'm like where can I find that and I've 
tried to look it up and I couldn't find it anywhere. So. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff is locked in, in forums. Um, I've talked to members of a forum called documenting reality. Um, I guess there's other like really niche forums like that, but I mean, there's obviously a lot less out there than two years ago. The interesting thing is I've noticed a kind of whack-a-mole effect where <clears throat> a lot of a lot of the gore that I'm seeing now is showing up on websites like TikTok instead of places where gore would be or should oh. be. that's crazy though because tiktok doesn't allow actual gore but i know that like um i can't remember his name now but um the guy that shot himself in the head on camera yes i remember that was a thing on tiktok where people were like if you see this video like click off immediately because it would be like an innocent video of somebody dancing and then all of a sudden it would cut to that yeah so 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 it was spreading like a virus almost. It really was. This article from September 2020 said that the videos were, it was not just dancing videos. It was also videos where it would open with puppies and then all of a sudden it would be Ronnie. Yeah. Um, and that was extremely messed up because, of course, it is a, a website mostly used by young people. And, yeah. oh, my goodness. Um. But I don't know. I do kind of wonder if maybe shutting down LiveLeak and Best Gore makes more of it come onto social media. But even before Gore proliferated on main social media, there was, like, before Bianca Devon's, um, and Bianca Devon's family um, says that they had been sent. Um, they had been sent images of their daughter. Um, oh. Like, yeah, Kim Devins, Bianca's wait, wait, mother. Um, re- remind me again, which one? Sorry, I, I can't follow names. I'm bad with names. Uh, oh, that's remind totally me again. fine. Which, um, Bianca which Devins, case was that? <clears throat> she was a social media influencer um, who was murdered in 2019. And the the killer was just basically this guy who was obsessed with her, she was like this e-girl, this mini influencer. Mm. And this guy who was obsessed with her basically um, cut her throat and then sent the images himself into a discord and it was on Snapchat. And he's the one who proliferated those images. I don't think I even heard about this case. That doesn't even sound familiar to me. Oh my God. That's crazy. It was like a lot. Like, um, God, I I can't believe, like, what even, like, okay, I might like to look at gore, but, like, I still can never understand what goes through someone's mind when they're the person doing it. Like, I can't, I, I feel bad when I have to spritz my cat with water when he's being a bad boy. Like, I can't <laughs> even imagine, like. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's. It's not like I can get in the mind of a murderer, but what I really can't imagine is making a social media account that has Gore as the profile picture and then tagging the mother of the victim. But that is what (sighs) Bianca Devon's mom has been through. And it kind of mirrors 
a case that happened in 2006, Nikki Katsuras, Porsche girl. You remember this one? Oh, wait, is, is that the one that stole daddy's Porsche and crashed it deliberately, basically? Yeah. Now, yeah. I don't know if she <laughs> crashed it deliberately, but... Well, allegedly. She was going over 100 miles an hour. Um, and it's really unclear why <laughs> she stole the car. It's, it's really... A lot of that is really unclear. There were no substances, like, necessarily present. Like, there were traces of cocaine, but it stays in your system a while. So there was no evidence she was actually on anything. But and, a lot of people... And I've, I've met people on cocaine that were, like, on cocaine. And yeah. they weren't even necessarily that crazy. Yeah, so, so I don't know what was going on with did, with Nikki. She was only you... 18. Did you, um, I, I don't remember if, if Moth ever covered this case. Um, she, he, he might have, but there was this girl who had her little sister in the back oh. with her little sister's friend, and she, she was filming. Did mm-hmm. you, I, I, oh, I might have sent you the video. Did you see that yeah. one? You sent me the video of Abdulia Sanchez. Yeah. So let, let me finish with Porsche Girl real yeah, quick. Yeah, so, sorry. <laughs> that is okay. And then we, will, we will go on to that one because I wanted to mention that one too. Yeah, um, absolutely. But let's see. So <clears throat> the thing I wanted to point out about Nikki is that it was the same thing that Bianca Devin's mom recently went through. But this was back in 06. So there wasn't necessarily a lot of like Twitter posts to tag her in. Um, so they would just email her family, um, basically images of her post car crash, and those mm. are some of the most gruesome images I've ever seen. Well, and and wasn't it the cops themselves that took those pictures and leaked them out? Yes, that was a case of the cops leaking them. I'm um, pretty sure those cops got like, you know, fired for that. But God, I don't know. Cops get away with shit sometimes, so. They do. Um, there was a big legal thing. One of them, one of the cops, was suspended for 25 days without pay. Um, so basically a short vacation. But so, the other so cop... a little, little slap on the wrist. You know, you, yeah. you traumatized <laughs> this girl's family. Uh, for years. Smack on the wrist. Have a good vacation. Honestly. The other one ended up quitting for, quote, unrelated reasons, but I don't know if I believe that. But so one of them lost their job. One of them didn't, I think. And ultimately, the family did get like two million in damages, but that was six years later. And I'm sure they'd rather just not have had the years of trauma, you know? Right. Like, yeah, two million dollars. I guess that's what my daughter's life is worth. Yeah, like... and I mean, I I do also, I want to go on to the Abdulia Sanchez thing, because, oh my goodness, when you sent me that, I kind of thought I had seen it all. That, and, one, that one fucked me up a little yeah. bit. And it's, it's one of those cases where I think the thing that's most disturbing is not just the gore itself, but how people are reacting to it. She literally selfied herself with her, like, smashed-up face sister. 
after the car crash and was like, oh, no, uh-oh, what do I do? Oh, no. Like, that's, like, a, a serious case of, like, social media being... She was like, I, I don't know what was going through her mind, but I I would think that it was something along the lines of, if I take my selfie here and I look really sad, then this will go viral. And it did, but for all the wrong reasons for her. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't believe um, that case didn't get, like, national attention because that that should have gone, like, national with the way that she acted. And I never heard about it on the news. I just, I saw it on one of the gore sites. And when I saw it, I was like, why did I not hear about this? I know. So this, the crash, apparently she was arrested for it in July 2017. Uh, do you, um, you want to go through the, um, like, what it's, what happened? Just uh, since we're doing, like, a podcast or whatever. <laughs> Well, I mean, essentially, this this woman's doing a DUI. She's under the influence of, I mean, I think she's drunk, but I don't know if she was under the influence of anything else. She basically kills her 14-year-old sister after crashing her car in, in California. And they were singing and dancing while she was holding the phone. Yeah, so it was a really <laughs> inevitable crash. The Like a lot of gore, I mean, I think the disturbing aspect of it is not what it looks like. It's not the side of her poor sister. Although the fact that she's continuing to record is very odd. But that's not even the worst part. It's just how she's reacting. Instead of being very worried about her sister, she's like checking her hair. She's like, I'm going to go to jail, y'all. And it's like, put the phone down and be like, you know, worried about it. It's... That was probably one of the most disturbing things I'd ever seen. Um, But, goodness. I mean, what what would you say if someone's, like, only an absolute sicko would look up stuff like gore? I mean, mean, that has to be the public's view. I guess the public can view it that way, but, like, for me, it's humbling in a way because it's like we're all we're all just meat in the end and I guess because I I have like an existential crisis I guess you could call it like where I'm like I know I'm gonna die at some point and who knows if it's gonna be messy or not and so I don't know it it's interesting to to look at gore just to see like what could be and I don't know um well uh like I said earlier uh prior to us chatting on here uh I have seen I I had a guy literally die in front of my house in a car crash and I was like the first person on the scene to find him like mangled up in his you know, in his car, and sorry, I hope you can't hear the giant trucks going by my window. <laughs> A little bit, but go on. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, it was around 2017 that we were all just kind of enjoying a family dinner, and then we heard, like, this big crash bang, 
And I remember my dad saying, that sounds like somebody just died. And I, it, we had like three feet of snow and I threw my boots on, I threw my coat on and I ran outside and sure enough, there was a guy dead under a car right across the road from my house. So if my house is haunted, uh, it's probably him. <laughs> but yeah, uh, he like, well, and the shitty thing is, it was his fault. He was driving on the plowed lanes because they only plow so many lanes, you know, when it's snowy. And he decided that he didn't like how slow the person in front of him was going. So he went into the lane that wasn't plowed and then he spun out all the way into the oncoming traffic lane. And sure enough, there was a gigantic tow truck coming right at him and smashed him to bits. And that was that. And I actually, I did get, I, I had some PTSD that I still do because uh, when I hear a car crash or any any kind of sound that sounds like a car crash, I actually freak out because yeah. I'm like, oh my god, am I gonna find another dead person? Like that that freaked me out because I saw I saw him. This is a really tiny community, and I saw his face on Facebook, and you know, so that that was kind of crazy. Yeah, but yeah, sorry. That must Go have ahead. Been so traumatic. <laughs> No, that just must have been awful. Um, so I, I guess I'm wondering, is it, it must be much worse to see it in person versus virtually. It's totally different because in virtually you have no, there's nothing. Like virtually, if I look up, you know, if I, if I want to see a car crash online, I can just look it up. And I have no connection to any of those people. And I might not have a connection to the guy that died in front of my house, but he's always going to be the guy that died in front of my house, you know? Mm -hmm. And his family lives right up the road, you know? And they were leaving flowers at his death site for a little while. They haven't done it for a while, but it was like right across from my house. People were just like, stopping and leaving flowers and it's like it's different I guess wow yeah I'd imagine it would be different um and I, I I'm sorry I I had to give like a statement to the cops because I was calling 911 a couple of times because they weren't getting there very fast and I'm like this guy is like dead uh and they were asking me oh we're, we're looking for a place to land the life flight. And I'm like, no, don't even bring a life flight. He's dead. Like, <laughs> there's no point. And so. That's rough. I mean. Yeah. I know there's some cases where you, you can't quite, you can't quite tell maybe there's a chance, but you, you had to tell him there's no chance. He, um, he went out. So the way that the, truck smashed into him like he went out his window and went under so like his whole upper half was underneath like that there was no chance like his 
his uh, whole upper half was just destroyed. Oh. And he had, like, the only way that we knew that it was a guy was that his hand was still in the car up above. And um, somebody else had stopped because I guess they were in front of him when he crashed. And so they came back around. And, yeah. And we just kind of stood there. I, God, I... I actually, I, I'm not proud of it, but I did take a picture and I wish I could find it, but I can't find the picture again. It might have been lost to the cloud, but. Wow. Um, I think Anchor is going to cut off in a minute because there's a 30 minute limit. So we might have really? to call again. I know. But do you want to do you want to call again? Sure, because I I have to know. Um, why did you take a picture real quick? Okay, how about how about we leave recording and, and call recording again? Okay. You you call me again. Yes. Or send me the link or whatever. All right. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Okay, what 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 did you want to ask? I I have to wonder what made you take a picture and did you have any intentions of sharing it or was it just for you? I I guess it was kind of well, this this was before Best Score got canceled, and I guess in my mind I was kind of like, I have like, the, like if I took a picture, I would be the only person who has this, and I, I guess I wasn't really thinking about the victim. I was just kind of thinking about myself, which is really selfish. And now that I think about it, that's really shitty of me. But I I took a picture. I don't have it anymore because I, it, it's lost to the cloud. My phone deleted it after so many, you know, I, I sent it maybe to one person and that's it. But I guess in the moment, I was just kind of like, this is something that I will never see again. So I should take a picture of it. And I, I don't know, it, I don't even need a picture. Like I still remember distinctly the vivid image of like him bleeding out on the snow because oh. it, yeah, it was crazy. And I, I don't know, man. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. And I, I did, I did. And I still do have some like to, to some extent, um, some mild PTSD from it. Um, it's not as bad as it was. Like, uh, as recently as last year, I heard a car crash near my house and it sounded like that. And I actually, like, I actually had like a full on PTSD attack. Like, I hyperventilated and I had to go in the bathroom and cry for a while. And just because, I mean, you don't. It doesn't sound so bad. Like when you're not the person who discovers the body, it doesn't sound so bad. But when you literally you hear this big boom and then you realize somebody literally died right in front of your house and you heard them die and then you're the first person to find them dead. Like that's fucking nuts. Yeah, no, it sounds pretty bad actually. Um, and I'm already, I understand being scared of I would be afraid of cars I think because 
I've been in an accident before that was like should have been worse than it was and and I think about that a lot and I can only imagine is there I, any kind of yeah. media that has ever affected you similarly like is there any media that you can like see in your mind's eye the way you could kind of recall seeing that I see I don't I I that's my thing is like I have such a firm uh, boundary between like media versus reality and that's that's okay here's here's a hot take I think that the news should do a big disclaimer and then show the whole footage because I, I I feel like it would resonate so much more with people because you know it's really easy for the media to say like oh man this guy shot and killed like five people today and and that doesn't sound like anything but if the media was to release the footage of this guy literally shooting you know the people i i I think that that would actually have a a benefit because i think then maybe people would stop acting like it's not such a big deal interesting i mean i don't know i'm not sure i'm not sure because i i feel like i just can't imagine the public ever accepting that like the 7 p.m news after you after you get done watching wheel of fortune or something it's like oh turn the (laughs) channel really quick so the kids don't see or i guess (laughs) they could they could do a big like okay disclaimer big disclaimer here's two minutes of disclaimer (laughs) we're gonna show the actual footage but like or i guess they could blur it out they could blur out the actual like killing part but it's just i i can't believe how freaking mainstream it is for us to have people just walk into a place and kill people like after like i'm I'm probably going way off topic for you. Sorry. <laughs> no, not really. Um, so after the Pulse nightclub shooting, like mm-hmm. I, I lived in San Diego at the time of the Pulse nightclub shooting. And when I was living in San Diego, um, I was living in the gay district. And somebody posted on Craigslist, you're next. Right, like right after that. And so I was terrified to go anywhere. Like anytime I went public, like I I don't know if you can get PTSD from something that didn't even happen to you, but like anytime I went in public, I was looking at the exits. I was looking at places that I could hide. And I was like, I went I went out to a movie and uh I asked somebody to put their cell phone down because it was like in the middle of the movie and it was loud and I didn't want their cell phone. And they turned around and started yelling at me and I thought they were going to fucking shoot me. So I just stood up and I left the movie because I was, I don't know. It it was crazy. I don't feel that. I don't feel that way anymore so much, but like, right after that and having somebody say that they were going to come for my district of San Diego 
and it was just it was a lot yeah a lot of community trauma came from that um i don't know though i i feel like the the images and videos are out there if people want to seek them out but it's just already such a violent society the news is already such a downer honestly yeah um but a lot of the stuff that we see in video games, like, this is the claim, a reasonable claim that people are making about websites like Best Score Live Week is that a lot of the stuff we're seeing in movies, video games, certainly in some news articles, it's gotten to the point where it seems like it's on par with gore, to the point that uh, Facebook moderators actually get somewhat traumatized, and they get PTSD from having to be a moderator on Facebook and see the content that comes through um, like the Ronnie McNutt video um, and okay. yeah, totally. And video game designers too have actually had to study real life gore and then they've gotten PTSD trying to design violent video games so I find that really interesting how the line between gore and the society we live in is getting a little thin I'm just like, uh, call me. I really don't care. I'll, I'll watch all the gore <laughs> and tell you how it goes. But I, I mean, I get it though because I, I, I wish that there was an easy way to just like become a Facebook moderator because nothing phases me anymore. But I mean, I get for like the general, uh, the general public, it's it's very jarring, and I, I guess like. People, people like me and people that watch, like, Plague Moth, I guess we're all kind of desensitized to a lot of it. And it's, it's both yeah. a good thing and a bad thing. Like, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, with the desensitization, do you ever feel like you've lost some tragic innocence you can't get back? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all, actually. <laughs> I mean, so here, here's where it comes into my line of work, actually. Um, okay. I, I don't really have any feelings one way or the other about seeing a dead body, uh, mangled or not. Like, yeah, if I see a dead body that's all mangled up, it's going to fuck me up, maybe. But, like, I, I work with the elderly now and I, I actually currently have a guy that's on end of life care and he's probably going going to die in the next couple of days and I since I've started working at this particular place I've had two people die and it's it's different it's it's kind of weird seeing like somebody that dies naturally versus you know the the gore that you watch so it's like you know when you see gore it's like god oh well that guy died but like when you see when you see somebody that's just you know naturally dying in a bed and they just go and it's like they just look like a person and you wouldn't even know they were dead unless you touched them it's yeah. so different. It's really weird. Does 
Does the desensitization help with the job, though? Make it any easier? I mean... Or not, because you know the person. It's it's different. It's really different. And that's that's what I was going to uh, maybe talk about. It, it's just, it's so different because on one hand, you have like mangled body, you know, when I, when I see a mangled body, it doesn't even register as a person, you know, mm-hmm. when, when it's to a certain extent. But then when I see one of my clients and it does register because I've been, you know, helping them like, the, the guy that I've got right now that is probably going to die in the next uh, week or so, he's he's somebody that I've been taking care of since I started working here. And he's he's got all this life in his eyes, like when he looks at you and he'll squeeze your hand when you put it, when you put your hand in, in his hand. And... So, so it's, it's more emotional because you're watching somebody die. Whereas when you're watching a gore video, it's usually like spur of the moment. It's like somebody made the wrong decision too fast and their car, you know, spun out and they're dead. But this is more like somebody is old and they're dying and there's nothing you can do about it except for give them morphine every four hours until they die. So it's it's a lot different. Like, I don't know. Uh, if I ever get to that point, like, just throw me out the fucking window. Because I, I don't, I don't, I don't just want to, like, sit there on morphine and have family members come and see me while I can't even talk to them like I would rather I don't know live fast die young I guess (laughs) (laughs) I understand (laughs) but that's interesting that there's there's such a difference between the real life and the virtual that it's like the desensitization doesn't apply at all yeah almost it, it doesn't it really doesn't because it's such a different world so like I I really couldn't tell you because I've only I've only seen the one guy mangled up in front of my house. And that that did kind of fuck me up because ever since then when I hear a loud noise when I'm sitting in my bed, it it gives me a panic attack like actually um not that long ago I heard somebody down the road get in a minor car accident, but it made the same boom that it made in front of my house. And I actually had like I like I I hyperventilated and had a panic attack, and I, I don't have those very often because not a lot really phases me. But I was just so scared that somebody died in front of my house again, you know. Yeah. So it's 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 so different. It's hard to to tell you like because I can I can look at gore all day. I could. You could send me dead bodies all day. You could send me, like, videos of car crashes, and it wouldn't matter. But hearing it and actually knowing that somebody died right across 
the street from me. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, goodness. So, I mean, I guess it, I'm still thinking about the, um, the picture and just thinking it's so different. It makes me wonder people who share gore, like the desensitization that, that the cops who leak images must have. Yeah. I, I mean, I did take a picture. I wish I still had it. I don't have it anymore, but like I only took it because I was thinking like, well, nobody else will ever have this picture. And I guess that was, that was selfish of me. That was stupid. I probably shouldn't have taken that picture. I don't have it anymore. And I can't, I, I have no way to get it ever again, but like, I can't even imagine like some, some of those cops, like who take those pictures and then share them on like their cop buddy, I guess, text, whatever text groups. Yeah. And and some of them, some of them take like selfies in front oh, of the dead bodies. Like to, would you like to hear a case about that? Yes, tell me, please. <laughs> so eager. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this one. It's a fairly recent murder. Um, it's the case of Biba Henry and Nicole Smallman. It's a double murder. Mm, I have not heard of this one. Or well, maybe maybe I have. Tell me the details. I know, because you're bad with names. But uh, <laughs> this, these were two um, sisters, half-sisters, but very much very close. Um, they were murdered in Fryant Country Park in London, June 7th, 2020. So just about a year and some change ago. Mm. Um, so... They were murdered by a 19-year-old named Danielle Hussein. So, and and Biba was 46. Nicole was 27. They were celebrating Biba's birthday at the park. Um, and it's it's really an eerie case because they took so many pictures of the party just minutes before the stabbing happened. But um, one of the biggest things about the case that has gotten headlines. Um, Hussein had links to far-right groups, which, you know, no surprise there, extremist, whatever, but, um, not, just because a lot of, a lot of killers have kind of extreme views, but something that's really made headlines is that he made a deal with a demon, and he signed it in blood. I saw this, no, no, I did see this one. Oh my god, yes, but, but continue. So, um, that is the more bizarre part of the case, but the really unfortunate part is that two Metropolitan Police officers, according to the BBC, took photos of the murdered sisters, um, PC Dennis Jaffer and Jamie Lewis were sent to the park last June after the bodies were found. They were found by, I think, Nicole's boyfriend because the cops were really probably a mixture of misogyny and racism, but they just were not taking this case seriously at all. Um, so after the bodies are found, the cops are kind of like just standing there and Lewis sent a WhatsApp message with like a, a picture 
of him and the girls. And the picture said, unfortunately, I'm sat next to two dead birds with stab wounds. Mm. And then Jaffer sent a message in a WhatsApp group that said, I'm here now. I'll try to take pictures of the dead birds. So both of them, for some reason, referred to these women as dead birds. Is that like a British thing, calling women birds? Uh, probably. I, I don't know. I'm not British. So. <laughs> I, I just, I, I remember I actually watched somebody um, on YouTube who covered this case not that long ago. And that, like, that's so crazy. Yeah. Uh, and it's, um, the men are about to be sentenced in like four days. They will be sentenced on December 6th. Hopefully to I don't know what freaking life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, probably not that. It is Britain, but yeah. um, at, at the very least, they are losing their jobs. And the the police are apologizing to the family and everything. But Oh, isn't, isn't that so nice? They're going to lose their jobs if <laughs> the police said sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the case has made such headlines. I definitely think they're going to face some jail time for that but I I hope it's a long time I mean I I just I can't even imagine like if okay if that was my loved family member who was murdered uh, and I think this all the time whenever I watch a case where somebody gets off light and I just think like if that was my sister brother mother whoever that got murdered like I would, I I would probably go to jail. Like one of one of my favorite. Okay, one of my favorite gore videos. It, I guess it doesn't really count as a gore video because it's not even. You don't really see the gore. Um, is the guy whose daughter was raped and murdered, and he tracked this guy down, and it was like the media actually caught it, and he he waited. This guy was on like a. He was walking past the payphones and this guy was waiting on the payphone until he walked past and then he pulled a gun out and he shot him right in the head. Like this like wow. he 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 raped and murdered his daughter and so it was like he totally Revenge. deserved it. I, I I could I could probably find the video for you if you wanted but like that that was like those those are the kind of gore videos that I really like to watch because it's like, you know what? Take the law in your hands when it comes <laughs> to stuff like that. Cause I'm sorry. Like I, I think about I think about the fact like, you know what? If somebody fucked with my cats or my, you know, my cats or my mom or, you know, because honestly, cats are my family members. Yeah. And I, mean, I I I would not I allow it. Yeah, if if anybody came in and did something like that, because I I actually my neighbor has a big dog and his big dog came around and um, almost killed one of my chickens, and I only have two chickens and I love my chickens. They're mine. They're my babies. And his big dog came around and tried to bite one of my chickens, and I went out and I oh he is so lucky that that dog that dog did not attack one of my cats because I would have probably gone to jail for gouging his eyes out with my 
thumbs. <laughs> so, okay, so basically your favorite kind of gore is where you know for a fact the the people did something to deserve it. That is, that's the best. I love yeah. that. I I love revenge. Because it's like, it's, you, you know, when you watch like a movie and like the bad guy finally gets the comeuppance, but it's, it's, it's in real life. And you know that they're a bad guy because you know that this person did some horrible thing. And just like with that guy, he, he knew that that guy had raped his daughter. And so he went and he shot him in the face and he had this whole elaborate way to do it. And I don't know. It was just, it was satisfying. Understandable. It, it, it must be like, like you said, um, seeing the villain in a movie get his comeuppance, but then it's real life. Um, on, in that same vein, I do have to ask, like legally, contractually, I've got to ask, what's, what's the worst media you've seen? Is there anything that's disturbed you the worst? And I think we do have a similar thing in that regard. Um, um, no, I, I don't know. I guess... Um... Nothing's really disturbed me. I've I've watched a lot of the um, random movies that show up on the lists. Um, there's like a Serbian film, of course, which I guess most people would say is crazy. Which I guess a Serbian film would probably show up on most people's list just because it has like underage connotations. Yeah, it's notoriously gross. But yeah. I mean, what about the Russian brick video? I think we've discussed that one. Have we? Uh, wait, uh, remind me again what that one was. It's a dash cam in Russia, and it's just a brick coming through a window. You see the brick. Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. That one. Oh, my God. Yeah, that one definitely. Because. Yeah, Okay. You just you hear, reminded me of that. Yeah, and that, but just so people know, you hear a man screaming, but you don't see anything. You just see the brick, but you know it's the knowledge that the brick has killed his wife that flew off some truck somewhere. Um, and I don't know. That's Wait, did it fly off a truck? Or I, I heard that it was somebody off the, uh, the side of a bridge dropping a truck. Or, or not a truck, a brick. <laughs> God, if, there, if they have lift been, there have been <laughs> cases of that, but you can actually see it come off a truck in the in the Russian okay. brick video. I I just remember, like, yeah, that one did definitely screw me up because that was mm -hmm. crazy. Like, just I because for me, it's not the gore; it's definitely like thinking about the person, and so yeah. like. Some some of those shooting videos where you don't even really see like the gore, but you hear somebody screaming, and it's just like that that death scream, you know? Yeah. And God, that one was definitely that was a hard one. Yeah, and the that's, brick that's, video. I I can't go. That's one of those ones that I can't really go back to, like Same. just because. I can't even imagine being that guy in that situation and you're just driving down the road and then all of a sudden your whole life is 
just destroyed. Yeah, you can't help but put yourself in the guy's place with yeah. his wife right there. And I think there was a kid in the car, too. Yeah. You cannot help but put yourself in their place. Um, and I had a similar reaction to something else that was auditory that made me realize that I'm more disturbed by the auditory than the visual. It was a 9-11 call, um, a 9-11-911 call, um, oh. where you could hear a guy screaming as the building's falling. Um, yeah, and just crazy. hearing him go from, hearing him go from, not necessarily calm, because it is 9-11, but hearing him go from like, hey, I think something's wrong, to actual, like, like you said, a death scream is, yeah, yeah. it's the worst. And of course, children and animals, everybody's soft spots, old yeah. people, etc. Oh, gosh, I, I, I can't, I can't handle like the sounds. Like, I can yeah. watch somebody get like mutilated, but um, I, I know one sound that will always stick with me forever and ever is the sound of somebody's throat being cut, and once their trachea is cut and you hear the wheezing that is a sound i will never ever forget yeah you you get that with a lot of post-suicide videos and you also get that with cartel videos or isis videos i i watched a lot of cartel videos and that was that was just one sound that always stuck with me because it was like the like the bloody like wheezing of of you you really can't breathe in anymore because you don't have the ability and you're breathing blood in. And mm. I know that that's a sound that like, uh, if anybody who's listening has never watched any, you know, beheading videos, don't do it. If you don't want to have that sound just in your mind, because it's going to be in your mind forever. Yeah, that's going to be one of the things you can't unhear. And yeah. I think unhearing is, is almost worse than, un, you know, hearing can be worse than seeing sometimes. It's it's very true. And, oh, God, we're going we're going on 30 again. Oh, no. I don't, I don't know if you want to stop and go again. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm enjoying I'm this. Not, I know. We've got to do this again sometime. But I've got to ask, do you have anything you'd like to promote? Well, or would you like um, to stay fairly we're, anonymous? We're going to stop. Yep. Wait. Um. Uh. Wait. No. We're. Oh God. We're going on thirty. Can I? <laughs> can we go again? For a second. For a second. Okay. Okay. All right, y'all. Uh, Vincent would like me to tell you that you can follow him on social media at a scatman. That's a scat man. And. No, I don't know if he's referencing that kind of scat, and I'm kind of afraid to ask. So, there are a ton of other directions I would like to go with this. I truly do want to make it a series, um, because there were no shortage of people who wanted to talk to me. And there's no shortage of people on both sides who say they've been positively and negatively impacted by gore, and so... You know, I hope to make it into a series, but to end this part of the series, to end this episode, I do want to cover legality, because I'm sure you're all wondering, is it legal 
to possess? Is it legal to distribute? It sounds like we're talking about drugs. Uh, the, the answer is, of course, complicated. When is the law ever simple? Um, so, in the year 2000, California did introduce a bill to outlaw snuff films. Snuff films are basically uh, videos where people die violently, usually. Um, so that was 2000. That was 21 years ago. And the ACLU got involved and protested over First Amendment concerns, of course. Any kind of defense of gore that you'll ever see usually has something to do with the First Amendment. And the bill failed to pass, and there have been no bills since then. And there was a Supreme Court case in 1973, going way back, called Miller versus California, um, where the Supreme Court established a test, the Miller test, that is supposed to determine whether content is just straight up obscenity. So basically determining whether it should not be protected under the First Amendment. Now the difficulty with that, the Miller test, I mean, first of all, it was established in 73. Standards were a lot different then. The internet wasn't really a thing then. Um, and it had a lot of problems. The Miller test is quite vague, honestly. And I don't even feel like I need to get into it because it's a little outdated. But um, there, there was another court case, United States versus Richards, which ruled that animal crush videos can be obscene and therefore are unprotected by the First Amendment, even though they do not. And this, this here is a direct quote. I wish it wasn't. A direct quote from the Florida Law Review um, saying that the animal crush videos are not protected by the First Amendment, even though they do not clearly appeal to sexual interests. And my God, I wish that were the case. But animal crush videos, which are unfortunately exactly what they sound like, videos where animals are crushed, those are usually fetishistic in nature. Um, I, yeah. So that's the only thing I can find that has actually modified uh, the obscenity rule. Um, so unless snuff films become illegal, which in the past 21 years they haven't, um, third-party providers like shock sites, so your ogreish, rotten.com, best gore, and live leak, in the order in which they were canceled, um, shock sites like these that host murder videos, snuff films, uh, pictures and videos, gore, whatever, those are currently protected by the Communications Decency Act of 1996. However, if they upload illegal content, like child abuse content, or apparently animal crush videos, um, they can be held liable. Now, courts have been granting increased privacy rights to families, and I do suspect, I do strongly suspect, that after the case of Bianca Devins 
and the petition that was at 45,000 signatures last I checked, I strongly suspect that privacy rights of families are only going to increase going forward. I'm not saying that we're necessarily going to move away from the First Amendment, but I do think we're going to move towards stronger privacy rights for families. Um, at least that's how the legal system is going to present it. Um, and even when Rotten.com was operational, which let's see, 2012, 2012 is when Rotten.com shut down, um, which now that I think about it, yeah, <laughs> sorry, um, so 2012 is when Rotten.com shut down, and that was where I first encountered gore in, like, late middle school, early high school, so for me, that was actually close to the time, um, somebody had, like, linked me to that, I think, but that was close to the time when it was about to shut down. Before it shut down in 2012, though, the owners of Rotten.com were successfully sued by families for hosting photos of deceased people and videos of their deaths on the site. And this is from Xavier Aldana Reyes in 2013, is the citation for that. So, I mean, it is legal currently to possess gore, and technically it is legal to distribute it. However, um, if you distribute it in the form of hosting a website, like LiveLeak, Best Gore, or Rotten, you're going to end up with lawsuits. A lot of those lawsuits will be from families who want pictures of their loved ones taken down. And when I stop to imagine if it was my mother or my partner or someone that I care very deeply about, I can definitely imagine. Like, I've read you a couple of interviews from the family of Nikki Katsuris or Bianca Devins or Jun Lin, but there are so many more. There are so many more heartbroken families. I kind of understand where they're coming from. I also understand when people view gore because of some deep trauma or even a morbid curiosity. And that's why I would love to explore this more in the future because it is such a multifaceted topic. It is complex. It is ethically and legally fraught. Um, there's just a lot that goes into it. And unfortunately, there was an interview that I had for this episode that was truly amazing by a wonderful podcaster named Amy, and it did not make the final cut because, well, I used a recording software that is apparently blocked um, by my operating system, <laughs> and if it sounds like I'm struggling to use technology words, um, it's not a stutter or anything. I genuinely don't understand technology, and that's been my biggest hurdle with creating a podcast. But I love to learn, and that's what this has been, a learning experience. I'm so grateful to Amy for helping me and not being angry with me, and whether or not we get to re-record, which I would love to, 
but whether or not we do, <laughs> I want you to check out the Creepy and Weird podcast on YouTube. Uh, Amy has a fascinating podcast, ton of great storytelling, and, well, if you like things that are creepy and or weird, <laughs> check, check her podcast out. And I also want to thank Vincent for that very lengthy interview. Um, I want to thank Mike Sims for his extremely illuminating response. I never imagined I would get such a comprehensive response. I want to thank Vixen, um, also from Documenting Reality. And honestly, I was afraid to mention the name of Documenting Reality because typically, uh, it seems like anytime people find out about a website that hosts gore, typically they get in trouble. Uh, they, the public gets upset. And so I did ask the founder of that forum um, if it was okay if I did this, and I did get his approval. So I want to thank him because that's a big risk. Um, and I want to thank the people who talked to me. Um, and I would love to make this a series. I would love to talk to more people in the future. Um, if any, if any families of deceased people on gore websites wanted to reach out, I would not object to it, but I would not want to re-traumatize them by reaching out myself. And that's just an ethical line I feel like I can't cross, is reaching out, um, seeming like one of those true crime people who want to sensationalize things. Because even though this is a very sensational topic, I really want to approach it from a sociological perspective. I want to be journalistic about it. I want to get better at interviewing and I want to be more professional, but there's never going to be a point where I want to re-traumatize a family who's already gone through something like this. But there are still a lot more people I'd love to interview. So if you'd like to reach out, you can find me on Instagram at Courtney Hammett. And I think that's about it. So I'll catch you on the next one. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to everyone who helped me make this. Hopefully it's the beginning of a series. But if not, I hope you liked this. As much as anyone can like such a difficult and disturbing topic. Well, thanks for sticking with me, folks. Have a good one.